Hey everyone, we're back with another week. Not another week of Find Your Film. Actually, it's been a while since we've done a director spotlight. This time out, we it is Bruce Perky's turn. He is called he has called himself Mr. Perkmore, and that is Bruce Perky. If you're checking out our our YouTube channel, our YouTube version, which is on our Deepest Dream YouTube channel, and also Eric Holmes has his own moniker is in Eric me I'm just going by Greg Srizavosti because I as per usual I crammed in these Peter Strickland movies late last night and today so I am I am in Peter Strickland mode and the reason why I'm not changing my name is I am absolutely shaken up and confused and there are no words regarding what I don't even know if I'm going to say anything the rest of this podcast. I might just say, take it off, Bruce, and then I'm just going to keep recording here. And then Eric will chime in because this is a very interesting hour plus that we have planned regarding the works of Peter Strickland. First off, Bruce Perky, Mr. Perkmore, tell us your fascination with Mr. Strickland. When were you hip to his work and... How long has it been? And have you been a steady, I guess, fan ever since? I saw Barbarian Sound Studio, which we aren't talking about tonight. I saw that back around the time it came out, which was 2012. And it kind of stuck with me, but I, I didn't really connect the director together with these other films until about a year ago. And about a year ago, um, uh, William Lindis had suggested The Duke of Burgundy. So I watched The Duke of Burgundy and I really liked it. And then a few months ago, I caught up with In Fabric, which I had heard was a really uneven work, but it was also by him. And by the time I watched that movie, um, I was like, okay, this guy is definitely doing interesting stuff, even if it's not your kind of stuff. So I thought, well, I'm trying to pick some kind of a director that's still, still, I would say, growing, but showing potential to do some continuingly interesting work throughout uh, possibly a great career. So uh, I thought Peter Strickland would be a good candidate for that. Eric Holmes, do you think Peter Strickland is a good candidate for that? Or if he's not a good candidate for this find your film director spotlight quote, would a human toilet be a suitable compromise instead? <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a, uh, he's definitely a good uh, candidate for a director spotlight. Uh, he's, he's a uh, very interesting filmmaker, probably not for everybody, but uh, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, he's, he's clearly has his own voice and, you know, for better or worse, he's, he's going to make the movies that he wants to make. And I think, I think they're definitely interesting, but again, they're not for everyone, but you know, most, uh, most filmmakers that push the bounds aren't for everybody. So I th- I think, Eric, you've actually been pushing the bounds a little bit too much. You have a guilty look. When I was out doing my butterfly lessons and lectures, did you polish anyone else's boots while while I was away? Did you do that, Eric? Maybe. <laughs> I'm asking you if you did. No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. This polishing boots, butterflies, moths, streams, January sales at your local fashion store or store uh, that these are some of the topics we're going to be. Yes. There is a come, come to, it sounds like a come to Jesus thing. We're going to hug you, or maybe it's out or inward. There's going to be a lot of hand genuflections or whatever. There's going to be a lot of different things we're going to be talking about for this episode. The Peter Strickland films we are covering for this episode for find your film is in fabric. His last film, I believe that was released Bruce in 2018 and also mm-hmm. his 2014 release which I believe is his most praised 
and most popular film, and that is The Duke of Burgundy. Now, just right off the top, Bruce, let's just start off with The Duke of Burgundy, released in 2014. And what's funny about this is when I asked Eric Holmes, I apologize to you, listener, if you have no idea regarding quote, would a human toilet be a suitable compromise? That is one of the many really interesting lines that comes out of the Duke of Burgundy. And I I was actually wondering, you know, are there any other cinephiles who would have actually written that actual quote down from the Duke of Burgundy and actually tweeted that remark? And lo and behold, I did it right now, this afternoon. And one of the top responders to that, do you guys have any guess who would have actually put that in the Twitterverse? For people to read, Peter Strickland, very good. good, John, very good. John Waters, very. Oh, you guys, it was right under our nose. Our very own beloved pro- podcast brother, William Lindis from the Movie Bears podcast oh. in the year 2014, tweeted again. I'm going to say this the third and final time. Quote, Would a human toilet be a suitable compromise? That's how much William Lindis has loved the works of Peter Strickland, at least as far back as 2014. And we're, we're probably assuming maybe, maybe he actually was a huge fan with his first two movies as well, which I'm sure Bruce is going to just lightly touch upon towards the episode. So the Duke of Burgundy, you want to just set us off, Bruce, what the movie's about and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Duke of Burgundy takes place in an unknown time period in an unknown place. Basically it's almost a two-hander. It kind of centers around uh, Cynthia played Sidzi Babette Knudsen, and Evelyn, played by Chiara Dana. I'm saying hopefully right. And uh, very quickly, you get to, uh, there's a younger and an older woman. Uh, the younger one is still, you know, she's, what do we say? She is like late 20s, early 30s, maybe. Sure, the older yeah. woman might be late 40s. So they're not like a huge difference, but uh, the younger woman shows up at the door, uh, riding her bike in this kind of idyllic sort of natural setting to this really beautiful manner, I guess you'd say. Uh, shows up, gets let inside, and very quickly you discover there's rules and expectations. There's kind of some sort of a dominance and submissive relationship going on. And you, within about 20 minutes, you kind of get the basic ground rules of their relationship, only to be overturned and changed throughout the movie. And that's kind of, I guess, your your basic setting of the movie. Well, that's the setting of the movie. And look, I throw a lot, I've been throwing a lot of caveats last several weeks and this is a huge caveat regarding the duke of burgundy first of all the movie's highly praised by the critics and it has a steady fan base regarding this film but if you are looking and you can say the same thing for in fabric if you are looking for a narrative that will placate your own senses of how a movie should actually the machinations behind a narrative if you want an a to z story which completes everything your heart desires steer clear from these two films okay and i don't mean this in a bad way this is actually praise for someone who actually wants to have an adventurous and explorative time in cinema and within that exploration i don't mean that to be an esoteric intellectual cerebral exercise the duke of burgundy if you even just look at it as a painting or as a journey of sound Based on these two factors, the Duke of Burgundy will be a completely immersive experience where the story itself, though important, becomes maybe even the third factor behind so many layers that you can just pretty much swim in for the entire movie. I absolutely loved everything about the Duke of Burgundy. We're going to 
dive a little bit deeper into just what this movie is about. But I'd like to get regarding a shock, just initial reaction, Eric Holmes, regarding the Duke of Burgundy. Did, did it wow you as much as it wowed Bruce and William? Or did were you a little bit off the train because it it it's probably goes off the track as far as narrative wise goes, or it's challenging maybe. It, it didn't wow me, but I I still liked it. It it was definitely a different type of movie. You mentioned narrative, which I would argue that this movie has none, or the, the at least very little narrative. And this is more about the dynamic between two of the characters. And less to do with what their story is, although I guess there's a little bit of it there. Kind of similar for In Fabric, but we'll get there. This movie reminded me a lot of Secretary, which is kind of a really similar, although Secretary is not nearly as stylized as this, uh, as Duke of Burgundy is. Yeah, it's just a, a different, different type of sexual relationship that people may or may not be used to. Definitely a sexual relationship you don't see often in movies, and it seems to take it kind of realistically. It, it gets a little bit salacious, but for the most part, it seems like it's trying to do this uh, sub submissive dominant relationship, kind of do it in a way that's realistic, air quotes, or, you know, just, I guess, sort of take it seriously, not make a joke out of it, not make it too salacious, even though it is kind of, it's a different movie, and I liked it, and uh glad i seen it and uh one thing i did want to kind of bring up is the and it has this in in fabric too is the uh opening credits peter strickland seems to be a big fan of those as is uh zach snyder yes I, another auteur that we're, we should discuss in the future exactly but uh but his uh where like zach snyder his opening credits are usually kind of building setting up characters or building a story peter strickland seems to be more concerned with setting a tone or setting a mood basically setting expectations for what you're about to watch and they're really cool i mean the the opening credits alone are worth the watch and then the the movie goes along and it has its its own uh, stylistic kind of flourishes as well that are really fun it's almost like a movie that you could watch as a silent movie a lot of times even without the subtitles like it it does that uh it does that storyteller thing where you can kind of like if you have the sound turned off you can probably figure out what's going on and i think that's uh, another mark of a strong filmmaker any woman who's actually listening to this podcast i i also warn you because in the future, if I ever get a home or a domicile of my own, when you enter my apartment or my home or my manor out in Hungary, I will be playing incessantly the soundtrack to the Duke of Burgundy. And let me tell you, it's nothing like the big chill, right? It's not. It's none of this really fun, fun stuff you're going to listen to. It's really creepy. So I'm warning every single woman who wants to get romantically involved with me, you're going to have to listen to the wonderful immersive soundtrack of the Duke of Burgundy. And you may... I will understand within the first few seconds if you turn turn tail and just run, maybe even call the cops at my horrible taste in wonderful music. Bruce, the, as far as the exploration of sound, is that one of the many reasons why you think Peter Strickland is a, a very interesting filmmaker as far as his dedication to the sound design? I think he's right up there, just really high up there. Yeah, he he definitely takes a ton of care with the sound and the soundtrack and the music, but especially the the sounds as well. He's very, very uh, intense on that. Even more so in, well, Barbarian Sound Studio for sure, but yeah. in the other movies, they have a lot of that too. Uh, I just also wanted to point out too how what he does, we're talking about how this is dominant, 
sub kind of relationship and all this kind of stuff. I, I think what he does intentionally was what's interesting in this movie is he, he takes a lot of really standard sort of setups and he does them in different ways. So for example, this has kind of got that classic sort of period romantic, romantic uh, kind of setup, right? That you might see in like a Jane Eyre or something, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't make a very traditional story or he doesn't tell it in a traditional way. And similarly, you think of like Secretary, we talked about that or you talk about other dominant submissive kind of movies or stories, usually they'll start with one inexperienced character being kind of trained into the lifestyle, right? Whereas this movie is all about, they're already very well established. You're dropping in the middle of it and we have to figure out what's happening in their relationship to the point that very quickly we discover like, oh wait, who really is dominant in this relationship? And are they happy? And there's a lot of, that's really what the story is all about. It's about, instead of being a, a normal narrative path, it's like repeat the same pattern, but see it through a different light. As it goes on, you start to discover like, oh, wait, when I was seeing that originally, that person wasn't doing what I thought they were doing. So um, I think all of that works really well in this. There's a scene in this movie between Cynthia. Cynthia, again, is the older lover. Evelyn is the younger lover. I'm not going to tell you who does what, but it's someone's, it's a celebration and one of the women tells the other woman that, oh, that one, of the, one of the women is expecting some kind of cake. And the other woman tells her, nope, that's not the cake. Yeah, the cake's actually right here. These are all the ingredients before you. And I want this cake to actually be ready by nine o'clock. Okay. And the other woman is a little bit surprised because she thought the cake, everything would be served before her on the proverbial silver platter. The celebration that they were going to have was going to be pretty much in celebration of her. She was expecting a really wonderful cake, yet she must gather all the ingredients and create that cake herself. And I, I want to throw this out to you guys. Do you think that is sort of, I mean, it, a scene is a scene. I was maybe reading a little bit too much, too much into it, but I, like, I loved how Peter Strickland says he's actually, in, in my opinion, with this scene, he's also telling the viewer, hey, you know what? You have all these ingredients before you and you can make your own cake. You can create an your own world because what this movie and in fabric does really, really well is both of them create this really immersive and self-contained universe that doesn't give you the easy out or the easy answer to how the story is going to go. He is in fact, Peter Strickland is in fact telling you or actually bringing you in like we're going to talk about people who are bringing people into a department store. He is bringing you into the story to create the cake with him. Bruce or Eric, I wanted to see if you guys could volley that one back back to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was trying not to do the have your cake and eat it too joke, but well, here we are. That was um, a good joke. That was still a good joke. I, I, I do like that. I do like the idea that uh, he's kind of giving you pieces of, uh, not pieces of movie. I mean, it's a full movie and, you know, pieces of it. And you kind of got to, kind of got to uh, solve it, I guess, uh, break it down. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't really have a good answer for that. How about you, Bruce? Do you think he's he's actually he what part of his aesthetic is actually bringing in the viewer, the audience to participate in the story and full, or giving giving his narrative an open interpretation to whoever watches it, his stuff? I definitely think there's an aspect of that to that for sure, and and I think you see that again in in um there's kind of I, I call it the 2001: A Space Odyssey sequence 
towards the end where it gets very abstract. It's the same sort of thing. You have, you, it's so abstract that you're wanting to constantly. So like, what's the meaning or give it symbolic importance and all this kind of stuff. So I think he does those sort of things throughout the movie, kind of like the cake scene, but I think the cake scene also works as a, a, a very slyly funny scene. Cause I think there's, there's very sly humor in here, but it's very, very subtle. Um, there's another scene that's where like that, where a character says to another character, we'll just turn on the faucet. Maybe it'll help. And I don't know if you caught that, but uh, <laughs> that was another one. And it's just like little things like that, that are just, you can miss them, but they're there because they're hilarious. I also think that that cake scene is important because it's showing you because their relationship has changed by that point, or we're seeing it in a more full light so that the fact that the one character expects the cake made for them is kind of, it's kind of telling that they really don't want to be the submissive person really. And the fact that the other person says, no, go ahead and make the cake. And was, it was not something they were expecting is saying like, well, this is what you say you want. So go ahead and do it. So it's, it's actually a, a kind of a pivotal power play, you know, the way it's played out. So I didn't get that. She didn't want to be submissive. I got that. My reading of it was that she wanted to be punished a lot because I, because like she would have, she would have her do like, you know, like with the part where she's cleaning the shoes and she's like cleaning the shoes. And then she goes, you know, she stops, she goes back to clean the shoes and then she gets up and leaves almost as if to uh, defy her in hopes that she'll punish her somehow. Well, I'll have to see what Greg thinks about this. I think she's a dom from the bottom. I think that's how she how she, she does things. Perfect example would be she says things like, um, well, can you do it with a little more conviction next time? Or there's this whole scene where she says, well, I want you to surprise me. Okay, but do it within 24 hours. But don't do it in the first hour and don't do it in the last hour. And then the other person says back to her, like, so within 22 hours. (laughs) I think that has less to do with her being a dom and more her kind of uh, wanting to set the set up the fantasy properly, I guess. Right. So she's but she's it's, you know, it's that's what makes this interesting and complex. It isn't stereotypical. Right. So it isn't. So like she doesn't really want to be surprised. She doesn't really want to be fully controlled. She wants to kind of control how she gets controlled. So that's what makes it really subtle and interesting. And that's what also makes the reaction of Cynthia as it goes on very telling, like in, in the way that this interaction is um being successful or not successful to yeah. two people but so. I, I also i also think she's not a very good dom <laughs> or it, it, at the very least she's a, a, a she may not very be very safe dom. one <laughs> well because when when uh yeah. she was in the box she was like what's in the box <laughs> she's like uh, she goes up and it's like are you okay can you breathe and she's like shut up just like it, yeah it's like it's like you're ruining my fantasy just Treat me like you know. What's safe basically again? treat me like shit. But I mean that, that from what I gather, that's kind of that's kind of what she wants. She wants to be, you know, the, that's the dynamic of the sub dom relationship. I'm a sub. I want to be treated as such. And then when you act like you care for me, you're ruining the yeah. play. I guess. I, I think what we're Burgundy? talking about is what. Oh, what was it again? Say again. What was the Duke of Burgundy safe word again? Panastre? Yeah. Panastre, yeah. I think that's what Panastre. It was. Yeah, ahead, I mean, I think what we're what we're talking about is what makes this really interesting. And it kind of speaks to what Greg is saying, right? You kind of can project somewhat, like there are multiple ways to read this relationship, which means 
this is an interesting, complicated relationship that we're being shown. It's not simplistic and it's not all spelled out to you. And I think that's what really works in this movie, along with it just being stylish and weird and, and kind of odd. Like it's almost an alternate reality, yeah. you know, where the carpenter shows up and starts measuring the room and all that stuff happens. You're just like, <laughs> what's happening here? No, this is a fascinating movie. Again, it will have its share of people who I'm sure there's thousands upon thousands of people who've given actually given up on the Duke of Burgundy because to Eric's point, I mean, there there's really not, not much of a story here in the Duke of Burgundy. I think the big story is itself is, again, it goes back to that whole cake thing is do you really want to create or, or luxuriate in this really in, interesting meal where all of the ingredients are set before you? And maybe you might have, it might be your job to kind of piece together this cake for your own, for your own, for your own meal. And for some, the cake will be a really nice cake. And for some, it will be just a pile of duty. So I loved everything. Again, I love, it's like close <laughs> to a perfect movie for me, Eric. And, and for some, they will hate it, but they will be forced to watch it, whether they want to or not. Otherwise they'll get punished. <laughs> okay. All right, right. Very good. <laughs> and thank you, Bruce Perky for giving me the, I Googled Dom from the bottom. And I, I finally got, I know what the term is right now. Dom from the bottom, AKA dominant bottom. Thank you, Bruce Perky. And thank you, Wikipedia for that image. No, but this is, this is a very interesting, thank goodness I was prepared. Even though Peter Strickland said this movie is not a Jallo film or in fabric is not a Jallo film. He said, well, they're not, but he's a huge cinephile. And he was saying that he grew up on, I was reading an interview, he grew up on Spanish sexploitation movies and Italian Jallo films. So if you listeners, viewers, if you're into an immersive movie, which the compositions, the color, the color of this movie pops, the location, if you want to see every single frame that looks gorgeous and you want to hear something for your ears. Like for example, if you're a fan of, I don't know, pet sounds by the beach boys and you, the reason why you listen to pet sounds is because not because of all the hit songs, but because you want to dive deeper into the actual music, the instrumentation, the, the, the masterwork that is the genius that is Brian Wilson. Same thing with Peter Strickland. If you want to, the Duke of Burgundy is a very deep and, and really interesting film that, that will, I think I don't know. You've seen it a couple of times, Bruce. Maybe twice. Did you get a a different a different take on the second time, or did you enjoy it more? Or it's just a good experience through and through, no matter what. I would say if you liked it the first time, you will definitely like it the second time. It's still interesting to watch. I think what I was able to do, and I think that people who like it would do the same. On a second watch, you're able to focus on a lot of the weird little details because you kind of know the dynamic, you understand the dynamic already, so you'll see. Like maybe you'll look at the note a little closer that are left behind, or you'll see some of the little, um, there's very, very, very uh, subtle touches that will maybe catch you. I think if you're into it, a second viewing is definitely um, a worthwhile endeavor to go under. And if you like this, I would say of all of his movies, Barbarian Sound Studio is probably another one you would really like because, and we were talking about censor in our earlier episode. It's all about a, a guy who is an editor and Foley artist and sound editor and sound creator for Italian horror movie. So it's very in-depth on the sound side of things. So that's that's something to look into as far as what we're not discussing today. So, Well, a little bit further is that would you consider Barbarian right on the level of, say, an In Fabric or, or the Duke of Burgundy? Does it reach almost that those levels i would say almost i think it's the least it doesn't have quite the relationship stuff that burgundy has and i don't think it has quite the out there-ness 
that in fabric has and it is only a second film it really is first big release but i would say for if you like these other two movies it has a lot to offer and some people find it to be their favorite it just kind of depends on your taste but it's a it's a quality movie for sure okay well that is duke of burgundy you guys how did you guys watch it i actually paid for it on youtube so thanks mm-hmm. eric for that i just rented it out on youtube yeah, yeah. It's, same uh, yeah. deal same deal okay cool, cool. i think yeah. it's only available to rent right now unless yeah i think it's only available to rent i think you can get it on amazon if like you sign like you know when you go to amazon it says right. free and you click on it and it says subscribe to joe's crab shack subscription service and then i i, I think it's one of those things or maybe okay. i'm thinking of in fabric but one of the two you can get on amazon okay cool and i tried it was actually streaming on canopy Lo and behold, it was streaming on Canopy. I, I've tried to play in fabric. Oh, wait, this was in fabric. This is for in fabric. Same thing. I rented both movies. We're going to get to in fabric in a second. But in fabric, by the way, I, I was trying to watch it on Canopy, but it had in fabric there. And I, I pressed play a bunch of times. It wouldn't play. So I don't know. I probably, I'm going to probably. It has canopy. in fabrics on Tubi too. You can get it on Tubi. Yeah, it was, it's on Tubi, and the, I know the commercials aren't so bad. They're okay, but I was so lazy. Eric Holmes, to your point, as I've grilled you within the last year about paying for YouTube rent, rentals when you have the Blu-ray or DVD right in your in your library, okay? I actually decided to pay for the infra, in-fabric rental as well. You it could, was a very, you could probably a get, I, and I don't watch Tubi a lot, but maybe you could get away with it within fabric, but I think Duke of Burgundy seems to be one of those, like you got to be locked in like the, the thing. So you got to be locked in. I imagine if it cuts out and like a half hour in to play a commercial and I could be wrong, but it seems like that would be a harder one to lock back into. It's almost like once you're locked in, you got to stay there. And then if you get cut away from like a commercial or something that I, I assume that might pull people out of it because you're con- like after the commercials, you constantly got to get back into it. And I don't know how easy that would be for a lot of people. Almost better off just renting it and just get locked in and stay, stay in that gear the whole way through. So Eric, Eric before we get into In Fabric, just final thoughts on the Duke of Burgundy. Would you warn certain viewers to say, hey, you know what? You're going to, you, if you want to focus on this, yeah, definitely go see this movie. But if you're looking for this, maybe stay away. A little bit of a warning or not too much of a I, I mean, you'll, you'll know what you're into right almost immediately. So it's just like most movies, you know, stick with it 15 minutes. And if you're in, stick with it. If uh, if it's not your speed, it's probably not going to pick up much for you. I you don't won't. know that I can say the same for In Fabric because In Fabric, well, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In, in in fact, we are there. In Fabric released in 2018. It's an hour and 58 minutes. It stars, what is the name of that movie? Fat Man Star. Fat Man Star. Marianne, Marianne Jean-Baptiste. She plays a bank clerk who, she's a bank clerk, recent divorcee. She, her son is living with her. Her son is probably in his late teens or maybe even in his early 20s. And she has problems with her with her son and who her son wants her to get back together with the thing. There's a whole subplot there, a little bit of there, but Marianne John Baptiste, she is a bank clerk who she's now she's now, she's now divorced. She, she wants to actually go out and actually live a life of her own, which is understandable. So what she does is she starts going out on dates and what do you need when you go out on a date? One would assume her name is Sheila, by the way, Sheila decides to purchase a red dress, a beautiful red dress from her local department store. And this movie is set in 1993. And during, I think during the January, February, like the winter sales where all these dresses and ornaments and all these beautiful fabrics that are known as outfits are 
for sale. So Sheila comes upon that red dress. She purchases it. Purchases it. By the way, there is a woman played by Fat. Her the actress's name is Fatma Mohammed, and she was previously seen in the Duke of Burgundy in a very memorable scene as well. In this one, she's even more memorable. She plays Miss. Luckmore, M-O-O-R-E, and that is goes back to Bruce's moniker, which I'm sure Mr. Perk Moore, he's going to really talk about Miss Luckmore in this movie. Miss Luckmore is the head of that department store. She's the one who who's actually the on-floor sales lady. Her monologues or her dialogue is probably some of the most unique dialogue I've ever ever seen in cinema. And I don't under I did not understand one single bleeping word she said and did not detract my whole whole enjoyment of the movie. She sells Sheila the red dress. Long story long, Sheila's red dress is the titular character in fabric. The red dress is not a very friendly red dress. The red dress is a literal killer. So that is the premise of in fabric. Eric Holmes is at a false advertisement regarding in fabric is regarding it being a horror thriller. What did your overall thoughts on this movie? My thoughts were that if uh, Dario Argento had directed slacks probably look a lot like this. Very good. Excellent. <laughs> um, Excellent. Yeah. So I, I, when I mentioned the Duke of Burgundy, like it, it kind of has a slain and, and kind of stays in that gear for the most part, it gets a little weirder towards the end, but this one seems to develop a lot more probably because this one, kind of has more of a story uh you know traditional story to it even though by you know traditional and air quotes because it is about a, a dress that goes around i mean it kills them but it, it does more than that it, it's almost like a it's almost like the the dress in certain ways like uh affects their psyche or their mind like there, there, yes. there's that that kind of thing going on, which is really cool. I think of the two, this one was definitely a lot more my speed. And uh, again, it had a it had a great opening titles, and then it just starts off kind of, you know, kind of normal. First of all, Marianne Jean Baptiste. Is that is that correct? Yes, correct. More 100%. more more of her and everything. Right. <laughs> she should just, just be in every single yes. movie. Yeah. More always more of her. You can never have too much. Yeah. And then this one does a weird thing because she her story is like half the movie and then she goes away and then it it goes to someone else. I don't think that's a spoiler. I mean, that's just kind of what it does, but I I didn't quite understand why they chose that sort of storytelling device. But this is also a movie that I think I'm going to watch like 10 more times and decipher it because there there's stuff going on here that clearly went right over my head i mean there's stuff that's obvious you know killer dress and everything but then there's like little flourishes and little uh, storytelling things and uh, certain things that just flew right over my head like i know there's something there i don't get it but i want to watch it again and see if i can figure it out Bruce, before we get to you i I think the reason why he did that eric and this is just my guess as a a movie goer is because if you pair these just from my little knowledge of his work in the Duke of Burgundy, I was thinking, what would happen if Peter Strickland actually shot and wrote Phantom Thread? Because there, the Duke of Burgundy, you could transpose its aesthetics into Fa- Phantom Thread with a higher budget and it would look immaculate because the Duke of Burgundy is an immaculate looking film, but he doesn't do that. He upends expectations. Within Fabric, the easy play, I think, we all said Marion Jean Baptiste in every single movie, right? That is the easy play. Just put Marianne Jean Baptiste in your entire movie and set it to her conventional narrative. Then you're going to have a movie that a lot more people will watch and actually invest in. But again, because I I just think Peter Strickland is one of those people. He has his own vision of the way a story should work. 
and he doesn't, I think, as far as his own work goes, cater. He doesn't try to appease the the masses, which you and I and Bruce are. So that's just my take on it. I, I'd like to see. Oh, go ahead. Well, I, I I don't I don't think that he's just upending expectations by splitting the story that way. I I think there's something else. Like like he's trying to tell us something else, or there's another point he's making. I just don't know what that point is yet. But uh, again, that's why I said this is a movie I'd go back and watch again. And the, there's probably like a bigger message there, or maybe I'm just overthinking it. But the, I think there's something there that I just didn't get. But the, again, this is one of those movies that's pretty dense and really heavy on on uh, metaphor and all that sort of thing that I, I think I could go back and figure it out, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'll get there. <laughs> How about Bruce? So what do you think about the, the splitting the story in a couple and also the idea, you know, which Eric says there might be something, there might be something uh, that you can dive into as far as the thematic of in fabric goes. So I know a couple things. I've listened to a few interviews with him and a couple things he mentioned that one of the inspirations of this, well, there's two, two big inspirations, I think for him, for this movie. One was he's always wondered about used clothing. Like kind of this idea that when you get used clothing, you're getting almost like you're being haunted, right? Like you get something from the previous owner, right? So there's an element of that. The other thing that he was, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about the structure too. He originally designed it with a lot of people getting the dress, but he thought that was too conventional of a, too conventional of kind of an anthology. So he paired it way back. So you had characters that you could really get into their stories, which is both good and bad, right? So if you like one story so much, and then when that story changes to the next story, you might be like disappointed. So he's kind of shooting himself in the foot, but also making it more interesting. And that's what we've been kind of talking about. The other thing that inspired him was the idea of these stores that you go to. And he took it to the nth degree, right? But the idea that when you go to these stores, there's like this whole hidden world that you don't see. Like what's happening behind the scenes. And he took it to the point where it's almost like you take the the dance academy from Suspiria, drop it into London and turn it into a clothing store. So that's, oh, that's the two things I can kind of address. Yeah. Real quick then. The, so the split up of the story, after you said that, I started thinking of, because uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, her character, she hears stories of the woman that owned the dress before her. So then when they stop the movie, that's, and then uh, the the other woman, and I guess kind of the guy too, have the dress we are we actually we don't have to just hear the story about the person that had before we actually saw the story of the person that had it before and then when they go in the elevator i mean right. it's spoiler but it, without context this is not going to make any <laughs> okay. sense to anybody okay. but the elevator goes down yeah. and then we see empty rooms almost as as right. if to say this story yeah. will continue right. all right. right i got it that's i'm not as stupid but i give bruce the assist Eric Holmes, that, that was that- <laughs> Eric Holmes, that was the money shot. You just gave the money shot away. Yeah, but that's that's fine. And I will, I will. Yeah, this movie is so weird that yeah, it has so much to give you. I would also suggest. I think there's like an element of magic and spells going on too. That whole idea of kind of the witches that you get in Suspiria, because there's even a small little scene like. So we talked about Miss Luckmore, or Miss Luckmore, I guess, very briefly. But she talks in this incredibly ornate, overly (laughs) what would you say, like florid style. Yes. And then they let Sheila just talks like a normal person. And she, you can almost see her like not knowing how to respond to this lady. It's like you have this witch walk up to you <laughs> to sell you a dress. So this is per- the perfect scene I'm talking about here is Sheila's buying the dress and she pays for the dress. And then they send the money through this pneumatic tube. And then there's this extended like pause while they're waiting for the change to come back. And it's almost like you go into this dream moment 
And and there's right before that you have what is it? Uh, Miss Luckmore says something like, you know, I'm going to not say it nearly or as ornately as she did. But she says something like, "Will you reveal the location of your residence and the names which under which you?" go or something like that you know and as she's doing that it's almost like it's a spell and even the ad for this this store is almost like the ad you got in like halloween 3 season of the witch where it almost seems like the ad itself is cursed you know (laughs) so there's a lot of interesting weird stuff going on in this movie also with duke of burgundy as well bruce you've seen more of his movies so maybe does he have a scene where a woman takes her hair off in all of his movies or is it just these two very Um, good point I can't remember if he does in Barbarian. He doesn't in Catalina Varga. Catalina, Catalina Varga, his first one, is is much more grounded in the style. It's his first movie, though. I will mention, though, that both these movies we saw today also have mannequins in them. Did you I, yeah, catch the, the mannequins in Duke of Burgundy? Yeah. <laughs> no, but the, uh, so the, like the... Like all these little things that, at least with these two movies, that transfer movies, I, I almost wonder, I, I wonder what they mean to them. You know, so, some uh, filmmakers do similar things and it usually kind of triggers the audience to, hey, this thing's about to happen or this is what this means. And so when they do yes. a similar a similar thing in multiple movies that you don't see in every movie, I, I, right away my brain triggers like, what does that mean? That there's something going on there and I don't quite know what it is. I, yeah, I feel like he's building up that language. He's only four features in. I feel like you're exactly right. Kind of like David Lynch, you see certain things in David Lynch movies, like whether it's, uh, you know, like a flashing, flickering light or David Lynch has certain things he does. One other thing I've noticed that Strickland does in every movie I've seen of his, he does this thing where he like will push in and it'll go out of focus. And then a lot of times he'll pull back out and bring it back into focus. And I don't quite know what that means other than it kind of seems like going into a dream, coming out of a dream, but that's something he's done. And even Catalina Varga, he did that. Oh, and I'll mention really quick, the, the mannequins. If you guys are going to watch in the Duke of Burgundy, there's multiple scenes where there's kind of this, uh, these lectures about moths and butterflies. Yep. And if you look in the back rows of the audience, there's mannequins. They're never addressed. There's some mannequins oh. sitting in the back row. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Wow. That is a great catch, Bruce. Great catch. I mean, I- the, the thing is that, that, that shot lasts so long. I should have caught it. I had literally, plenty, if you look, I had you plenty look, of time to look up everything. <laughs> There's a mannequin just kind of sitting off to the side like that. And you're like, what the fuck is going yeah. on here? Uh, but yeah, that, that's where that you point that out because I, I didn't even notice. But that shot is just like, you know. <laughs> so it, it's not like the shot just went by in a second. No, no, I didn't notice nope. it. Like I literally had five minutes to check out the background. I didn't even. Yeah, good pull. <laughs> uh, did you see it? So you've seen In Fabric twice as well, Bruce? I've seen it partway through twice. I got all the way through on uh, Nuka Burgundy. I didn't have time to finish In Fabric all the way through. What was your question about that? Yeah. So, yeah, because you ended up enjoying the Duke of Burgundy more. And you were, so did you, is In Fabric really high on your list as well? Did you, were you disappointed by it because of the second half or? I think at first I was, but as I've, the more I've sat with In Fabric, it might end up being my favorite. Because I think on an individual basis, there's so much fun to be had. It's also his funniest movie, I think. Like there's individual scenes that I think aren't even scary scenes. Like when she goes on her first blind date, just the way that that plays out is so awkward and humorous and sad. There's a lot of individual scenes in this movie, even with outside of the supernatural and craziness going on that are that are really great on their own. So, I, I, oh, we didn't talk about, there's the two guys 
that are like their bosses or whatever they yeah. give her like the talks they're, they're very good they're very very good the, they're just, the, they're guy, just out the there. guys from the guys from office space <laughs> yeah and let's let's not forget we all, we forgot to one of the sneaky sneaky almost seen stealers in this movie is eric holmes is talking about a second story the second story is populated by one soon to be married dude his name is reg speaks played by leo bill just the fact that his name is reg speaks he's a bespectacled guy he's about to get married he's a little bit henpecked by his soon-to-be wife and she has a prominent role in the second half as well they're not as strong as the marion john baptiste story in the first half that's why there may be a little bit of a a drop off halfway through in fabric but my thing is i ended up I was ready because of what Bruce said earlier on regarding in fabric. When he, I remember you were talking about that, I was ready for a second half drop off. And for me personally, it was pretty much excellent all the way through. My my opinion is Marion John Baptiste. Her story delivers so much momentum that by the time you get to the second half, that's just like a final lap around the track. So I'm just ready for everything. And then by the way, by the time it gets to the third act, the third act of In Fabric is right up there. It's straight up like Brian De Palma's ending of Carrie where everything just goes haywire. So just imagine department store dresses, conflicts, and you you realize that he loves Jallo films. So imagine that ending regarding In Fabric. And obviously the biggest red, of course, is the dress itself. So yeah, there's a and there's a lot of stuff to really unpack regarding the third act. So overall, again, this movie for me is just as excellent as Duke of Burgundy. I, to be honest, Eric, you said you like this movie a little bit better than Duke of Burgundy. For me, right now, I they're right at neck and neck. I I like one for one reason, and I think the Duke of Burgundy actually is more my lane. But I was surprised at how much he achieved within Fabric, and I was pleasantly surprised. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not like uh, in fabrics awesome and Duke of Burgundy is dog shit. We're talking about like, you know, Ace. <laughs> we're talking yeah. about like ten nine point nine. Like they're they're both fantastic movies. So Bruce, that's it. These are your two movies. We went. Were you surprised that we both loved them so much? I yes, I thoroughly expected. I expected actually, honestly, I expected Greg. I expect you to hate one of them. Because I know that sometimes <laughs> when these movies go too artsy, sometimes you're just like, ah, no, <laughs> I'm out of this. <laughs> I just want to mention one little thing I didn't mention. We have to mention that Fatma Muhammad, who was in both of these. Yes. She's in all of his movies. Okay. Very good. Very good. So she's like his, I don't know, not necessarily, she never plays a major, the main role. But she's in all of his movies. Miss Luckmore, that play by Fatma Muhammad. My one, I guess now I'm just going to generate a new. Um, my only complaint regarding In Fabric. There needs to be an In Fabric sequel, or maybe even prequel, that just centers on Miss Luckmore's character. Because if it, that movie just has her <laughs> yes. with her ornate dialogue explaining things, maybe have Miss Luckmore discuss the theory of evolution. Uh, maybe have Miss Luckmore in the Scopes trial that, that for for Eric Holmes, and then have her in a De Palma following sequence for me and for you, Bruce. Maybe end up ended up on a third act horror thriller. We'll just call the movie Miss Luckmore, directed and penned by Peter Strickland. Yes. <gasps> Did Marianne Jean Baptiste, did she direct anything? I, I'm going to check right now. Bruce, what are you going to say something? Bruce. I had the Miss Luckmore movie. I think it would it be. So, since we don't have Mr. Robin Williams anymore, maybe we could remake a certain movie, but have it be Miss Luckmore instead? <laughs> Miss Luckfire? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. I'm getting Did to you Marianne. not watch that movie? <laughs> I, I, 
I'd be all over that. <laughs> okay, she's only actually directed a short back in 2010 called. Uh, Ape. Never, never mind. I, I, I was hoping to have a have her as a director spotlight, but oh, but I'll tell I, you, I, what, maybe, maybe we'll just do an actor spotlight one of these days. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll tell you something. Let me tell you something. After watching both, what is it, Eric? I'm sorry, Fat Man, right? Is that the movie, Fat Man with the Santa yeah. Claus movie? After watching Fat Man, and especially after watching In Fabric, I know one thing I, I'm definitely needing to watch is everything that Marianne Jean-Baptiste is in. And I'll yeah. be honest, do you co-sign? I'm just going to go through her IMDb list. Oh, she's in Peter Rabbit as a general manager for two minutes. I'll watch it. Okay. So, <laughs> right? Whatever. I'll Clock watch those whatever. two minutes off of YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. She is such an amazing actress. And I don't, I don't know what else to say other than I think for Peter Strickland, if I think this, I think Peter Strickland is for a select audience. And what I mean by the select audience is it's for an audience who really has a specified, they, they love the visuals. They love, they want to see some unique storytelling and they have a real passion for sound design as well. Basically, going back to the whole immersive experience without going the predictable route of telling stories. So I mean specified in the biggest of ways, meaning if you want to challenge yourself and see something out of the norm, definitely check out Peter Strickland. Also, before I get to your last thoughts, guys, he also said that about even though his movies are a certain way, he's wanted to, I'm sure you've read this, Bruce, he's wanted to become a sellout for years, but no one will hire him. He's wanted to, he goes, I want people to hire me for their TV project. I want people to hire me to write their scripts, but they think I'm too weird of a filmmaker that I'm not going to actually bend to their whims. And, and he goes, but look, you have to pay the mortgage. I'm basically, basically, listeners, if any of you are filmmakers or producers, hire Peter Strickland. You can get a genius for, I'm not saying top dollar, for a reasonable dollar. He is looking for work. He is a genius and he wants to make money. So whatever you're going to make is going to be way below Peter Strickland's standards and maybe our standards, but just give it to him and your your stuff will upscale just by default. Eric, or, or better yet, if you're um, Disney, what you do is you throw millions of dollars at Peter Strickland and then he'll say, cool, what am I, are we doing a Marvel, a Star Wars? What is it? No doing whatever the fuck you want <laughs> because right. the, 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 this is completely a filmmaker that does not need i'm granted it, if you said that that that's that's fine but uh that uh, that's so sad to hear <laughs> it's like just it, he's got such he's got such a unique mind i love him love him or hate him i would rather much rather him do these unique movies as opposed to you know be part of the uh become part of the machine but yep. i mean that that that's kind of how it works sometimes it's like if no one's watching the movies uh you know i gotta pay the bill somehow so just throw hundreds of millions of dollars at him just so he can do whatever he wants bruce to that point are you amazed at whatever budget he has his movies look so just pristine oh oh yeah I mean, for sure. His, he puts care into them. And I would say like, he's even done that for the beginning because his very first movie, right? The, the legend is he had an uncle or something pass away and give him a small inheritance. It was like, it was in pounds. So it was like 20 or 30,000 pounds, which what is that? Like maybe $50,000 or something like that here. And he could have used that to, you know, get an apartment or whatever. He instead, he went to the Carpathian Alps in Transylvania and directed his first movie for that amount of money. And this is a guy that takes what he has and he maximizes it for sure. And he does what he wants to do. And even that movie, you'll see, it's like, there's, it's just its own thing. So, well, he yeah. is a film purist. I was looking at, at his interviews 
Eric, uh, regarding Barbarian, was Sound Studio? Is that the one? Is that the name of the movie? Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were talking about digital versus film, and you could tell when he answered about shooting on digital uh, with Barbarian. There is just this waft of regret that enters the room whenever he's speaking about it. He was just saying, "Oh, my favorite is to shoot in sixteen millimeter," but because of so you could tell there's this huge mea culpa and the sorrow behind shooting on digital. But he's the kind of guy I think it would be interesting if. What would Peter Strickland's movies have been if he actually had almost like you were saying, Eric, almost free reign in the 60s and 70s around that time of of um, Fulci and Bava and Argento? This guy seems like a descendant of those guys. I Is that too far to say on, on that? No, that's about right on. Yeah. So, all right. So we'd love to hear what you guys think ab- about these movies. Final thoughts, Eric Holmes on Peter Strickland. I was very interesting filmmaker and I look forward to seeing what he has next and can't wait. Actually, the more I'm thinking of it, the more I can't wait to dive into in fabric some more. Well, you know what, if you ever see a red dress and you are with a, I will so, run so you fast. Run? Oh, how about for like, let's say you find the love of your life. <laughs> will you ever buy her a red dress, Eric Holmes? No, 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 no. Okay. No red dress for us and no human toilets for us either. Bruce Perky, you have the final, you have the final thought on Mr. Peter Strickland and his work. The kaleidoscopic precipitation of synaptic wisdom has enriched the matters of gray inside my cranium. That is amazing, folks. And that is as, (laughs) that is, yeah, that's it. That mind blown, as Eric Holmes would say, I am I am speechless. Go watch more Peter Strickland films. We will be back next week on Find Your Film. Have a great rest of your week. And those are the final words for Bruce Perky. For the for the purposes of this show, he's known as Mr. Perkmore. We'll see you guys later. <laughs>